A lot of people today are misconstruing justice with equality. What they want, when they say they want justice, they want a predetermined outcome. Yeah. That's what they want. They want they, they don't want the truth. They've already got an outcome in mind, and they want to see this outcome come to fruition. If it comes to fruition, that's justice. If it doesn't come to fruition, that's injustice, and that's not how Scripture defines justice. My passion to speak issues through a proper biblical worldview originated with the desire to write theologically about matters impacting the church. A blog is simply a tool, yet the message is for the glory of God. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Those words are penned from the heart of my guest today, Daryl Harrison, who currently serves as the Dean of Social Media at Grace to You Ministries. Of course, that's where Dr. John MacArthur is the Bible teacher and heard right here on the Bot Radio Network. Daryl, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Byron, thanks for having me on, my friend. How are you? Daryl, I'm doing well, and I'm so glad that we could have this time together. We scheduled this back about three months ago. You're a busy person. You've got a lot going on there with Grace to You Ministries, among other things that God has you involved with. You were born and raised in the public housing projects of West Atlanta, Georgia. I'd like for you to share some memories growing up. Who shared the house with you? What is something of value or an experience from living in the projects that resulted as a positive character trait in your life? You weren't a teen always gangbanging and cutting folks, were you? No, you know, I wasn't. Thank God, by the grace of God. (laughs) By the grace of God, he shielded me from a lot of the dangers, you know, that— that tend to be present in uh, inner city urban neighborhoods, but but yeah, so it's interesting, you know. I spent all of my uh, all of my life as a child uh, living in the public housing projects on the west side of Atlanta, and uh, that was up until I uh, moved out after graduating high school when I was eighteen, and then uh, going into the military. But yeah, when you talk about memories of my childhood, not all of them are very pleasant, uh, actually. To be honest with you, uh, um, I grew up. Uh, both my parents were uh, alcoholics, and uh, much of my memory as a child, memories rather as a child, had to do with uh, me breaking up fights between my parents. Uh, uh, my, uh, my 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 parents uh, were married for uh, close to fifty years. My father passed away in two thousand two of a heart attack, but up until then, they'd been married. I think for about forty six, forty eight years. Uh, so they stayed together, uh, uh, but it, it wasn't always pretty. And, and no marriage is, is, is totally pretty, but when you've got dynamics uh, such as uh, alcoholism and other factors, uh, other sin, sinful factors playing into the relationship, that, that makes it even more difficult than it, than it uh, normally would be. Uh, but from the standpoint of some, 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 some positive memories, I will say this, that my father, my father uh, is still within me, uh, a work ethic uh, like I've, I've I've rarely seen. My father worked incredibly hard. Uh, I didn't see my father a lot growing up. Uh, he was usually working or trying to find work. Uh, there were times I can remember he would be working two or three jobs, um, doing pretty much anything. My, my father uh, graduated high school, uh, didn't go to college because he had to go to work to support the family, but he was an extremely talented bright man. He's, still to this day, I say that my father was the smartest man I ever knew. Uh, so he instilled within me a work ethic and uh, a work ethic whose, whose ethos was uh, uh, built upon the, uh, the, uh, the ethic of and, and, and the, and the uh, routine of not making excuses. 
Um, I, I, uh, my father never made excuses for the, even in the midst of the material poverty that we lived in, he never made excuses. My father worked. He provided for his family. He did what he was supposed to do. He was a responsible individual in that regard. Um, and I live my life that way. Uh, I don't make excuses. And I have, uh, to be honest with you, Byron, I have a not a very high tolerance of people who do make excuses. Uh, my mother, who's still living, she's still living back in Atlanta along with my sister. Uh, but my mother wore, I like to say that my mother wore the spiritual pants in the family. My mother was the one, uh, given that my father was always working, she was the one who made sure that we were in church on Sundays, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. My mother was the, the one who introduced my brother and sister and I to the concept of Jesus, the idea that there was a God. Um, and, and just like every other uh, uh, apartment back in the housing projects in, in, in the hood, as we would say, there's this, my mom had this big, thick, leather-bound King James red letter Bible uh, that always sat in the middle of what we would call the coffee table. Oh, yeah. The table that would be in the middle of the, the living room. That, there was always that big, heavy, leather-padded King James Bible that had the beautiful paintings uh, uh, from, from cover to cover. So my mother was the one who taught me about Jesus. And it's, it's interesting how today my mother, who is in her 80s now, uh, she will on, on regularly call me now for, for to, to help her with the passage, or to, to help her understand a, a text of Scripture, to help her uh, exegete a, a word or or, 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 or or build a hermeneutic around what a verse uh, says. So those moments are always special. It just seems like uh, just yesterday that my mother was reading the Bible to us, and now here I am. Uh, helping my mother understand the Bible. So, yeah, so there were three of us children and my parents and uh, some some some, uh, some good memories in terms of, of, of ethics and whatnot, but the experiences of living in the projects wasn't always pretty, but by God's grace, that, that was His sovereign will for me, and I have no complaints whatsoever. Daryl, that is so beautiful, and the fact that you don't consider yourself a victim of your circumstance, but victorious in light of your circumstance. Yeah, absolutely right. I think, you know, again, I, I don't mean to sound simplistic when I say this, but uh, when you, as a believer, you have, you really have no choice than to rest on the sovereignty of God. Uh, you know, one of my favorite verses, Byron, in, in the entire Bible is, is Ecclesiastes 7, verse 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14 says that in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, remember that the Lord has created the one as well as the other. And that verse, in Ecclesiastes 7.14, has sustained me for years. There, and I, I say to everyone that I have an opportunity to, um, especially being a, being a biblical counselor, and uh, you know, I interact with people uh, frequently who are going through trials, they're going through adversity, they're going through circumstances uh, in, in their marriage, with their children, on their job, whatever the case may be. But Ecclesiastes 7.14, I tell them, uh, without variance, that if you can get the principle of Ecclesiastes 7.14, if you can get that embedded into your heart and mind, that God has created your uh, days of prosperity, of blessing, He's also created days of, of adversity, that God is sovereign over each of those kinds of days in our life, each of those kinds of seasons in our lives. And once you can get that in your heart and mind, there is nothing and I mean that literally. There is no situation or circumstance that you cannot joyfully endure, let alone victoriously, but you can endure them joyfully knowing that God is sovereign over all those circumstances. There's testimonies, as you well know, Daryl, of believers throughout the centuries who have exampled that very fact, what you're saying there, you know? And, sure. and they've been in some pretty pathetic 
places before. So I, I think that's a great word. Uh, you had this incredible blog called Just Thinking for Myself, which has more than 22,000 subscribers, maybe a whole lot more by now. You're also the lead host of the Just Thinking podcast, one of the top-ranked Christian podcasts in all of America with more than 1.2 million episodes downloaded. Now, this is something that you've joined together with Virgil Walker, who is discipleship pastor at Westside Church in Omaha, Nebraska. How do you decide what to blog about, and, and why did you and Virgil decide to start the podcast? Yeah, those are two really good questions, Byron. Let me answer those in reverse. Uh, cool story about how the podcast started. Uh, we launched the podcast back in December of 2017. That's when Virgil and I uh, officially released our very first episode. But the idea of the podcast was not mine. Uh, our executive producer, Dwayne Atkinson, who in December 2017, I didn't, uh, in 2017, I had not met until about a couple months prior to the episode coming out in December 2017. It was Dwayne who approached me on, on, on Facebook about the idea. Dwayne was already a podcast uh, ninja. I mean, this guy's absolutely the hardest working man in podcast land. So Dwayne was managing several podcasts. As a matter of fact, he invited me on his podcast to, to interview uh, interview me about you know some of the, 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 the sociocultural issues that were going on even uh, three years ago. And uh, Virgil Walker, who was already good friends with Dwayne, so Virgil and Dwayne knew each other. I didn't know either of them at the time. So Virgil heard the interview that I did with Dwayne. Then Virgil reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I heard your interview, loved it. I think it'd be great, brother, if you would consider uh, doing a podcast. You and I partnered together on a podcast together. Now, I, I, I initially turned the idea down. Uh, I did not think that I uh, really had the gift as a speaker, as a uh, orator, or whatever the case may be, uh, so as to go on the air behind a microphone. I really felt more comfortable writing. I felt that my gift was 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 putting uh, uh, words down on paper, uh, and I was perfectly content to not podcast and just continue writing my blog. Well, God had other ideas. I prayed about it for about uh, two or three months and then considered to do it because Virgil has a background in radio. He has a background in broadcasting. He's done this kind of stuff. So, you know, he he was sort of coaching me along as we went. And then here we are uh, right at about three years later. Uh, we've got 105 episodes under our belt, and we're one of the top rate, as you said, one of the top Christian podcasts by God's grace. Um, in America. I mean, the chemistry you know. between you two guys is just wonderful. I was listening to you guys going to sleep last night. Well, hopefully we didn't put you to sleep. No, 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 you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> but I, I wanted to end my day by listening to your podcast and the issues you attack, the way you do it. I mean, I, I just love the format and the way, again, the chemistry between the two of you. Yeah, you know, you bring up something that's a constant point of feedback uh, that we get from our listeners. Uh, they uh, they. They constantly tell us uh, that the, the what they'll use, they'll use the word flow. They'll say, they'll say the flow that you guys have. It's just like you guys have known each other for 20 years. And uh, to be honest, Byron, Virgil and I, we didn't meet in person until late last year, late 2019, at the Truth Matters conference that was here at Grace Church, Grace Community Church in Southern California. So Virgil and I have been doing the podcast for two years before we even met in person. Uh, so it was only a, about a year ago, uh, almost, that he and I met uh, for the first time in person. But I think when you have a uh, a like-mindedness in the Lord, uh, you have a uh, 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 common belief, you have common faith, a common uh, theological uh, 
hermeneutic uh, around these issues, it's really easy. Plus, Virgil and I, we have similar backgrounds. We have similar cultural backgrounds. Uh, you know, he and I both grew up in the quote-unquote black church, so we know that we know that environment. We, we know that culture like the back of our hands, which is one reason why we use the Hammond B3, but that's another story uh, in the podcast, <laughs> the Hammond B3 organ. Yeah. But, but yeah, so Vir- Virgil and I have so much in common that it's almost like... He's 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 just a brother that I never knew. I mean, we we just we just kind of click. And uh, so when you ask, okay, what Daryl? How do you decide what to blog about? The, the same logic goes into uh, the blogs that I write. That goes into the uh, podcast episode, the, the topics rather that we uh, decide to address on the podcast. Is that Virgil and I, and I? I just simply write, and we just simply talk about things that matter to us. And uh, uh, by God's grace, by His mercy, we never, Virgil and I never expect. I never expected the blog to have over twenty-two thousand subscribers. The podcast have close to now two million episodes downloaded. As you and I talked today, Byron, this is unbelievable. We never wow. ever imagined any of this happening. How much prep time do you do for each show? Oh my gosh, man! For I would say on average, because on average, uh, one episode of the Just Thinking Podcast on average is at least an hour and a half. Uh, some of them go beyond two hours. So I would say for us to get ready for uh, a single episode, version, I probably put in uh, close to 20, 30 hours uh, to get prepared. Because, um, and, and I say this in all humility, humility uh, the, the, the podcast, the Just Thinking Podcast, has gained a reputation uh for Virgil and I putting so much time into the research that we do uh, in an episode. So when you listen to an episode of our podcast, you are going to hear us. It, it, is, it is not abnormal for us to cite 20 some odd, I know it. 25 different sources in order yeah. to solidify our thesis. I really appreciate what you do to make that show happen. It's a show that our listeners need to get in tune to and, and be sure and download some of those episodes. Well, thanks so much for saying that. I, I kind of use a, a, a Mike Tyson comparison when you talk about our podcast. I heard Mike Tyson say in an interview once that the workout he has to go through to prepare for a boxing match, that that's the hard work. But once he gets into the ring, he says that's where it gets fun yeah. for him. It's actually <laughs> the, box, the boxing match. So it's kind of like that way for us. You know, we spend countless hours prepping, studying, researching for each episode. But then once we get behind the microphone and we hit record, uh, man, we just have a ball. We just have a lot of fun during those couple of hours. So, are bow ties a Princeton thing? You know, a bow tie, a bow tie <laughs> is a Princeton thing. It is, but it's not. That's not why I wear them. <laughs> that's not why. That's not why I wear them. I really, and I, th- I think Virgil would say this as well if he were here. I wear bow ties because they seem to just coordinate better with the shape of my face. I have a round, pudgy kind of face, and I used to wear neckties all the time until I discovered. Hey, I think. Wearing something that's more horizontal to offset the width of my face actually looks better than wearing a necktie. So, yeah, I wear totally exclusively bow ties from now. You wear them well, my brother. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. And I mentioned Princeton because you are a fellow of the Black Theology and Leadership Institute at Princeton Theological Seminary. Yes, and also uh, an alum of their uh, theology and ministry yes. program at Princeton as well. And uh, the orange and black of Princeton is unmistakable. Once you saw those two colors, when you see those two colors together, you'll you'll know <laughs> it's Princeton Tigers. Also notice, Daryl, that you're a biblical counselor in training with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. It was founded by Dr. Jay Adams, who, by the way, has been on the show before. Uh, wow. 
What's worth noting about this particular means of counseling for you? You know, for me, I would say biblical counseling is distinct from secular counseling, and in many ways it's distinct from Christian counseling. Uh, you mentioned Jay Adams. Jay Adams is the father of, of what was once called nuthetic counseling. Uh, and the, the thing about biblical counseling is that it always goes to issues of the heart. I don't care what the uh, surface problem is. Biblical counseling takes you directly to Scripture to address the root causes, the root genesis, the origins of whatever those specific issues may be that you're dealing with, because it's always a heart problem. It is always a problem of the heart, and biblical counseling takes you directly to those heart issues, and then seeing those and understanding those issues through the filter, the prism of what the gospel says, not not my opinion as a counselor, what does the gospel say about this? And biblical counseling confronts you with the truth about yourself first. So we use the Bible as a mirror first, and then we use Scripture as a window for you to see uh, outside of yourself, whether that's to a spouse, whether that's to your children, uh, your other family members. But biblical counseling is unique in that it is it, always pointing at the heart, digging into those heart issues, and then holding them up against the truth of the Scripture and encouraging the counselee to uh, embrace that truth and then deal with those issues accordingly. Daryl, not everybody embraces the truth once they are confronted with the truth. Absolutely right. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, it, in biblical counseling, um, not every uh, not every counselee accepts that. And now, I, 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 uh, I only counsel uh, believers. I do not counsel unbelievers. So I only counsel professing believers, and you might be surprised at, uh, that at the degree to which even professing believers find it difficult to accept the truth of the gospel, and what the truth, uh, truth of the gospel reveals to them about themselves. And many times uh, they don't want to continue the counseling relationship because you as a counselor, in this case me, I refuse to uh, give any ground uh, with regard to what the Scripture says. So it can be very difficult for yeah. them. A friend went for some biblical counseling, very seasoned pastor, Bible counselor for some marriage issues that they were having. At the end of the session, the counselor said, Sir, the problem with your marriage is sitting in the chair right there. Yeah. And that was the last time he went to that counseling. Right. So even as a believer, you've got to be willing to receive that, right? Yeah, you, you have to ask yourself, okay, why am I going to counseling? Why am I going to counseling? You have to be able to honestly answer that question, because, again, if you don't want biblical counseling, that doesn't hurt my feelings. Okay, that really doesn't hurt my feelings. But if you want biblical counseling, you have to want it for the right reasons. You have to want it for purposes of, uh, that are outside of yourself. It has to be existential to yourself. You have to want what God wants. Uh, so whenever I ask, ask, ask someone the question, why do you want to, uh, why do you want biblical counseling? Why do you want to pursue biblical counseling with me, the only answer that I'm going to accept is because I want God's will. I want to do God's will. I want to, I am I want to submit to God's will, regardless of what that requires. I am committed to submitting God to God's will. Wow. Anything other than that, you're going to be disappointed. You're probably going to end up not counseling with me, and you're probably going to end up not counseling with other people. It's it's, it's just a pattern that's set because a lot of people just want to. They call it counseling, but what they want to do is just for someone to tickle their ears. Yes. That's not me. And the Scripture warns about that, too. 
Uh, I want to turn the corner, Daryl. Lady Justice is always wearing her blindfold, holding a balanced scale, or at least she's supposed to be, at least. The blindfold represents our justice system being blind to a person's wealth, power, gender, and race. But it seems today's society has removed Lady Justice's blindfold to tip the scale toward their view of life. I think that's very true. You're hearing a lot today about equality this, equality that. And I don't know that necessarily the uh, the, the symbol of Lady Justice should have a, a blindfold on, because when you talk about the matter of justice, at least in biblical terms, it's always a matter of the heart, okay? So with, with Scripture, the issue with God is not uh, equality, but equity. What, what God God's justice is inherently a, a, a justice that is impartial, there's no sinful prejudice, there's no sinful bias. So the, the blindfold over the eyes is not really symbolic of what Scripture teaches. What Scripture teaches comes from the heart. Scripture, scripture teaches that, that, that true justice is a matter of the heart, because what you want is what, what God's justice demands is that we, in our heart, not uh, apply biases and prejudices to situations. Uh, I, I wrote recently on my blog uh, an example of that, where I titled it Equity or Equality, and I use the passage in First Kings chapter three, where uh, King Solomon is is approached by two women, and, and they're seeking justice because uh, uh, one baby has died, one of their uh, children is still alive, and they're wanting King Solomon to, to decide uh, justice here. Well, whose baby is it? Now, uh, in the, uh, the the way the world today, the culture today uh, defines equality, uh, Solomon in that situation would have had to cut the baby in half. Because that, that would have been equality. Well, you get half a baby, you get half a baby, nobody goes home with nothing. But Solomon didn't rule in that context. He ruled with equity. So that means that Solomon sought the truth. I'm going to rule, I'm going to judge based on what is the truth. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, equity, ruling with equity, judging with equity means that somebody's going to go out disappointed. Well, one of those women left without a baby, but the truth was upheld. The truth, the child was given to its true mother. So equality is about outcome. Equity is about truth, regardless of outcome. And a lot of people today are misconstruing justice with equality. What they want, when they say they want justice, they want a predetermined outcome. That's what they want. They they, They don't want the truth. They've already got an outcome in mind, and they want to see this outcome come to fruition. If it comes to fruition, that's justice. If it doesn't come to fruition, that's injustice, and that's not how Scripture defines justice. Well, are perceived injustices actually injustices? What do you see as some of the perceived injustices that are being misrepresented by the media today? Well, first of all, to answer the first question, perceived injustice is, is, is why you modify that that noun justice with the word perceived. It's a perceived injustice. Well, the only way to determine if, they, if a perceived injustice is an actual injustice is to allow the process, the judicial process, to take its course. And as long as that process is free of sinful bias, sinful partiality, sinful prejudice, then regardless of the outcome, you have to say that the process was just. You, you, and what the media will, will, will convey to you, the media will convey via subjective images, subjective narratives, that based on those subjective images and narratives, that an injustice has occurred based on just what the media has allowed you to see. Now, Christians 
We have to be extremely more discerning than that. We have to filter what we see and what we read uh, through the media, through what the Scripture says. Um, in Scripture, there's either justice or injustice. There's no such thing as a perceived justice, injustice, rather. And even when there is an injustice in this world, number one, we shouldn't be surprised, because we live in a sinful world. This world is bereft with sin, and the Scripture is clear about that. But also, if there's an injustice, we shouldn't be surprised. And then number two, even if there is, we as believers have to rest in the fact that, uh, for instance, according to First uh, Timothy five twenty four, for example, God is going to meet His justice out to those who are deserving of it, either in this life or the next. So we should never expect perfect justice in an imperfect world. Nevertheless, we should be extremely discerning about what the media shows us, and not be so quick to latch on to. Uh, to what we're being shown or what we're being told as a perceived injustice. We have to let the process take its course. Darrell, well, our time on this show is coming to an end. Is there any way you could join us for another show? Absolutely, Byron. I'd be absolutely happy. Oh, brother, God bless you. What's the best way to keep in touch with you? Social media platforms, your blog, the podcast? Yeah, all over. The best way to keep in touch is to go out to our uh, our, our website at justthinking.me. That's just thinking. That's one word, justthinking.me. And at that site, you can read my blog, you can listen to all of our podcast episodes, and you can also connect with me on social media. All right. Well, listen, I'm looking forward to jumping back into this conversation with you, Daryl. Me too, brother. Thank you, Byron. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Today's Mid-South Viewpoint is brought to you by Navage. Just think about all the nasty stuff we breathe in every day. You know, the dust, allergens, bacteria, pollen, pollution. You know the things in Memphis here. What are we breathing? Well, if you wash your hands and brush your teeth every day, then why aren't you cleaning your nose to clean out all that junk that's trapped up in there? Let me tell you about this product. If you suffer from allergies, sinus infections, or are worried about what you're breathing in, it's called Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. What's Navage? Well, it's the world's only nose cleaner with powered suction. People that have suffered from lifelong allergies call Navage a complete game changer. They are breathing more clearly, sleeping better, snoring less and feeling a whole lot better. In fact, 90% of people who use Navage report feeling healthier. Now with cold and flu season just around the corner, why not make Navage part of your daily health routine? Experience what it's like to truly breathe better, sleep deeper, and feel healthier. Go ahead and visit Navage.com. That's Navage.com. Or you can find Navage at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Target. Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E.